This is episode 33 of Cinescope, and I feel big as a damn mountain. Welcome to Cinescope, where our goal is not to criticize or to assign ratings, but rather to celebrate the movies we love, exploring story, characters, music, and relevance to the world around us. I'm your host, Chad Hopkins, and returning to the podcast today is Aaron White to talk about one of our favorite films, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Aaron, how are you doing tonight? I'm good, Chad, and very, very excited to be back on. I'm excited to have you back on. It's been a long while. You were last on for episode four, I believe. Is that when we did Blade Runner? It was, yeah, it was very early in your run and totally different type of film too. Oh yeah, that's for sure. Uh, Drama versus sci-fi. And this movie in particular is one that I've been looking forward to because the past couple of weeks we've been doing sort of comedy films here on Cinescope. And so I was ready to sort of dig my teeth into a drama. But before we do, Aaron, how about you reintroduce yourself and tell us who you are, what you do, uh, how people might know you, stuff like that. Sure. Well, I am uh, the co-host of a podcast called Feelin' Film that is uh, similar to Chad's show here, where we don't really take a deep look at the technical aspects of a film. We try to evaluate them uh, based on more of emotional takeaways for us. Um, kind of like how Chad likes to look at story characters and music more so than just uh, the technical aspects. So we do that uh, a couple times a week, usually at least once, and it's been a lot of fun. We are about to hit our 50th episode with Beauty and the Beast, which is crazy. I just can't believe that we've made it almost a year and actually never missed a week. It's just kind of mind-blowing to me, but it's a lot of fun. I love doing it, and I love the the relationships and being able to kind of collaborate with people like you and do films on your show and, and uh, flip-flop back and forth like that. Definitely. I've told the story before, but when I was first creating Cinescope, I pitched it to Mikey Fissel, who talked Robin Hood uh, Men in Tights on the show. And he said, you know, that sounds great. I love the concept, but it also sounds like what my buddy Aaron is doing over here on Feel and Film. <laughs> so I went to your show. I listened to a few episodes. I contacted you, said, okay, here's your show. Here's my show. Here's what I think I'm going to do different. But in general, you just said, you know, there's more positivity either way. So I'm fine with you doing Cinescope. And so here we are. Yeah, absolutely. And and I love your show. I, you know, shameless plug here. I'll be honest. Uh, there are only a couple of podcasts out of all of the ones that I love and listen to and I'm, people I'm friends with that I really focus in on each week. And one of those is yours. So big, big props to what you're doing. I think it's a good Good thing. And I love I love tuning in because you have such a, a variety of different guests and hosts from all over the different landscape of entertainment. And so I getting to introduce to those people is, is a really cool thing for a listener. Thank you. And definitely, that's something I've always strived for is Cinescope's not necessarily my show. It's our show, as in the community show and all of a place for all of us to talk about the movies we love. And so uh, yeah, I'm glad you are enjoying it. And I'm definitely enjoying feel and film whenever you guys talk about a movie that I have seen at least. And, uh, every once in a while I do seek out a film that you guys have talked about so I can enjoy the episode. So great. Make sure everybody goes out and listens to feel and film. And, uh, just a couple reminders before we get into our discussion here, go to iTunes and rate review, subscribe. Those things help us so much as podcasters. It's our, our bread and butter. 
as far as growing our audience. So if you want to help the show grow, please go to iTunes, do those things for us, and make sure you're sharing the show elsewhere if you are enjoying it. And one more reminder before we move on, Anchor is still going on. Uh, We're going about a week strong since that re-released, and I'm having a lot of fun over there. I'm releasing like 10 minutes of content a day over there, talking about movies, giving discussion topics, Netflix recommendations, all those kind of things. And the cool thing is you can call in and give me things to talk about and all that kind of stuff. So again, perpetuating the idea that Cinescope is a community show, both here and on Anchor. So go check that out. The link will be in the show notes. So are you ready to talk about this movie, Aaron? I think so. Awesome. We are talking about One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. This movie was released on November 19th of 1975 and was directed by Milos Forman, who also directed Hair, Ragtime, Amadeus, and The People vs. Larry Flint. It was written by Lawrence Hoiben and Bo Goldman, based on the book by Ken Kesey, and the music is composed by Jack Nietzsche. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, I don't know how to pronounce it. Those are my best guesses. Uh, he also composed the scores for The Exorcist, Cruising, An Officer and a Gentleman, Stand By Me, and also co-wrote and won the Oscar for the song Up Where We Belong for An Officer and a Gentleman, which was sung by Joe Cocker and Jennifer Warnes. The movie stars Jack Nicholson, Louise Fletcher, Will Sampson, William Redfield, Brad Dourif, Sidney Lassick, Christopher Lloyd, Danny DeVito, and Scatman Crothers. So, Aaron, how about you tell us about your first experience with this movie? Because it's a little bit different than some might expect. Yeah, as a self-proclaimed cinephile, (laughs) I have a lot of blind spots in my library when it comes to classics. I'm a relatively new movie uh, obsessive watcher. I've always enjoyed film, but it's taken me a while to get to the point where it became my primary hobby and, and I spent most of my time catching up on films. And so... Um, this year in particular, I have a, a buddy of mine who we've been giving each other a movie to watch every couple weeks, and lots of mine have been classics because he wants me to catch up with these. And one of those that he was shocked to hear that I had not seen yet was One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Next. Um, this is an AFI Top 100 film, so it has always been on my radar. That's a list that I'm slowly working my way through uh, and eventually will complete I knew nothing about this going into it, though, Chad. Like, I, I, I honestly had no idea. I hadn't read the book, so I didn't have any idea what it was going to be about. I assumed, you know, Cuckoo's Nest, there would be something to do with <laughs> insanity. Right. Um, but I didn't even realize that Jack Nicholson was in it until I sat down to watch it. What I remember before seeing it was that I had done a poll on feeling film several months ago and I'd asked something about villains and nurse ratchet has come up as a, as an option. Oh yes. So I had this picture in my head of what nurse ratchet was as this, one of these great movie villains. And lo and behold, it was not the picture that I had drawn of, of what this great quote unquote movie villain uh, was going to be like. So I was shocked I uh, didn't expect Christopher Lloyd. I didn't expect Danny DeVito. I immediately loved it. Um, I thought it was a very uh, enjoyable human story exploration. Um, I like characters that are grounded and feel real. Um, I like the fact that there were multiple character arcs. 
Uh, and it was just, it, 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 McMurphy felt very genuinely frustrated and sad to me at so many times during this film, as well as just joyful. Like he just exhibited such a wide range of emotions that I thought, okay, I get it. I get why people say this is one of the greatest characters in film history, uh, McMurphy. So I, I loved it. I, I really enjoyed it. Just watched it a few months ago, and uh, it was great to be able to rewatch it again uh, for your show and to get ready for it. Right, and speaking to the talents of both Jack Nicholson and Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratched, both of those actors won the Academy Awards for Best Actor and Actress, respectively. It won Best Director, Best Film, Best Adapted Screenplay. I think there's one other in there that I can't remember off the top of my head. It won all five of the major awards. It's actually one of only three films to ever win all five major awards. Picture, director, actor, actress, and, and screenplay. Adapted right, okay, screenplay so I did the get them all. One. Yeah, so you did get them all. And, and the other two were It Happened One Night and The Silence of the Lambs. So, wow, yeah. Cool little piece of trivia there. This is This one's pretty impressive. It is, and... My first experience with it was I actually read the book first, I believe. It was my senior year of high school. I don't remember if I was reading it for a school project or something. I think I might have been because I think I watched the film on Netflix for the first time shortly after finishing the book. And I probably did like a compare and contrast paper or something like that. And I've always loved this movie. I This was one of the two films, the other being The Shining, that really convinced me of Jack Nicholson's insane amount of talent. Uh, emphasis on insane when it comes to both of those movies but he is just so good and i've always loved this movie it's always been one of my favorites but this is my first time to watch it in probably five years maybe six years it's it's been a while but i own the big box collector set on blu-ray and i was glad to pull that out again it's got a book that i might look through um and some pictures and all that kind of cool stuff so i was really glad to revisit this film for the podcast well, how about we go ahead and go into talking about story? So um, how about you start us off? So I would say that I love the story. <laughs> very generic. Um, you know, the things that stick out to me the most about this story is just the way in which McMurphy comes in and completely changes the dynamic of this insane asylum. Right, he derails this, it. This mental hospital. Yeah, he completely, yes, he, he disrupts the established order of things um, in a huge way. And one of the big ways that he does that is with laughter and by bringing in this sense of fun. And so for me, those beats of the story um, and watching that progress was probably the most enjoyable part of this. I mean, there's, there's not really anything about this film that I don't like. I could quote, you know, dozens of scenes that I absolutely adore and that show all different kinds of emotions and um, character actions. But uh, just overall, the if I was going to point to the biggest ones, you know, things like the the scene of, of uh, the World Series where he's reenacting the World Series these moments where we get to see the mental patients start to transform and change and, and open up and become more vulnerable and willing to kind of embrace who they are and figure out who they are. Those are the beats of this story that I absolutely love. And I also kind of latch on to this idea of a character McMurphy who is 
in a way, morally gray. He's he he enters this place in a selfish manner, and he 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 acts has an arc. Like he has a very clear arc. He enters this this uh, hospital as a way for him to get out of something that he doesn't want to do. So he's faking it, but deep down, like we see right off the bat, how genuinely good and caring of a person he is. And so watching that progression and just seeing how it affects all of these different people around him, but yet not Nurse Ratched, <laughs> is really compelling and entertaining from a from a drama standpoint. We don't get a lot of dramas anymore that can hold our attention that aren't what I would call melodrama. You know, there's there's a line there, and I think this one is a very good example of why it's considered a classic because it handles it in 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 a very balanced way. Yeah, I love the the storytelling aspect of it. It's it's very vignette sort of styled where you have this scene that is a individual story and then you have another scene that is in a, another individual story. And across these multiple sort of vignettes, you have continuing storylines like you were talking about earlier. And so in a way, it feels very much like you're sort of reading a chapter book, or it even feels like you're watching a play and you're going from scene to scene to scene. And that's telling because the first time this was adapted from the book was for a play starring Kirk Douglas, who optioned the film rights. And if you noticed, Michael Douglas actually produced this film. So I did not notice that, actually. I believe Michael Douglas was originally set to star in this, but I think he may have been a little old or Kirk was or something like that. Um but yeah, he he was a producer for this film. And I, I think it shows that it sort of comes from that play background. It it does have that sort of stage quality to it. And I really like that, the sort of single setting. And speaking of the setting, it it's a perfect setting. How how great is an insane asylum for a place to develop a whole cast of different kinds of characters? And you, ha you have Cheswick, who is so different from Harding, who's so different from Fredericks, and who's different from Tabor, et cetera, et cetera. Everybody has their own unique individuality, um, individuality, and it, it really shows. And like you were talking about, it allows for each of them to go on their own separate journey in reaction to McMurphy's presence. Um, some of my favorite scenes were the the first meeting uh, with Nurse Ratched, where they, they're starting off the breathing exercises and McMurphy is sort of just trying his best to follow along because it's a new thing for him. And then this fight breaks out because Harding is wanting to talk about his wife or is trying to talk about his wife. And then Tabor interrupts with telling him to F off, F you, all this kind of stuff. And it breaks out into this fight and Harding uh, has this weird reaction where he's like, what are you, are you, are you calling me a queer stuff like this? And, and McMurphy just sits in the corner, basically laughing at the, the chaos that is ensuing. And it's just a funny scene. scene like, wow, what kind of madhouse is I, am I in? And uh, another one would be the fishing scene uh, where he is listing off everybody as a doctor, except for Harding, who he calls Mr. Harding. <laughs> and he just sort of turns and looks at McMurphy Um and then just real quick, the basketball scene where he gets Chief Bromden to play with them um, when everybody thinks he's deaf and dumb. And then there's the the discovery itself that Chief can talk. And I, I love all those scenes. There's so many scenes in this movie that, that are worth mentioning, but those are just a few highlights for me. Well, you nailed a couple of mine that I was going to mention, too. The fishing trip really ties into that idea that I was mentioning of of this theme of laughter being a medicine 
for these, uh, these, I want to say inmates, but they're not inmates, these patients. Right. Um, you know, that is, I think the first time when they all kind of let loose, we see just this thunderous laughter from all of them, uh, at the end of this fishing trip. And it just seems like such a sign of like a psychological turning of the, you know, turning of the page for them where they've their eyes and they've they've been awakened to this different sense that they haven't experienced in so long if ever um and then one of my absolute favorite scenes is chief playing basketball all the way throughout and i think i think that is a brilliant piece of the storytelling here is if we just got one scene with chief playing basketball knowing he was or with him having been mute and deaf it would still be semi effective but because we had multiple attempts to get him to play basketball when this finally occurs and we see him laugh for the first time it, it's so much more powerful because we've seen him deny it you know he's denied letting loose a couple of times if we hadn't seen that it wouldn't be nearly as impactful but because we did that becomes just this, you know, this grin on your face. You can't help it moment. You're, you're right there with chief and you're, you're so happy for him. Um, one of the, the things I really like too, is the initial meeting by McMurphy, uh, with the doctor when he's coming into the hospital and it's, you know, the classic line, I'm a GD modern Marvel of science. Right. Uh, I, I love that line. I had no idea where that came from. Again, something where I knew that line was a very famous quote, but for all I knew, it came from, you know, some other Jack Nicholson film. And when he's here in this meeting, he specifically asks the doctor to read what's on the paper. And I, and I got a real good sense in that moment of how manipulative his character was, how smart his character was, because the doctor asks him, you know, what's wrong with him? And he's like, well, why don't you read that first? You know, he, he's he's fishing. He's trying to play. He needs the doctor to give him some information so he can come back. And at the end of that encounter, when the doctor tells him that he's going to go ahead and be evaluated, he responds with this line. He says, I'm here to cooperate with you 100%, 100%. I think that we ought to get to the bottom of R.P. McMurphy. And in hindsight, that is my favorite line of the film because it, it's so powerful it tells you that while he's faking it, he ultimately is going to go through this process of discovering himself while he's helping others do the same thing. And so it really resonated with me right off the bat. And I think the second time watching it, I got to pick up on things like that and notice those those things in a lot more detail than I did the first time when I was just kind of enjoying the experience of it all. So it's a film that rewards multiple viewings, I think. I agree. And fun piece of trivia, the guy who played Dr. Spivy is Dean Brooks, and he was the superintendent of Oregon State Hospital where they filmed the movie. So, Wow, really? Yeah. That's, that's almost like getting a real drill sergeant to be your drill sergeant. Exactly. He was, he was the guy in charge, and he's the one who let them film there and then ultimately got a part in the film doing the same thing. So a uh, very cool piece of trivia there. Uh, well, let's go ahead and talk about characters i mean the big one here is of course randall patrick mcmurphy so i guess i'll start off this time he is a man who who wants the freedom to be himself 
And sometimes that means he does awful things like sleep with the girl who's not of age. Sometimes it means he starts fights, but sometimes it means he just has fun. And he wants to have that freedom to have fun and to be himself as much as he can. And in the setting of the hospital, he wants to allow that same freedom to the others there. He wants he sees them sort of held captive by Nurse Ratchet and company, and he wants to set them free, show them what life can be like when you have confidence in yourself and and have some fun. Everything he does in the movie is to show the men that Nurse Ratchet is not the ultimate authority of their lives, right? He he's seeking out to give confidence to them. Look at what we can do when we just have a little fun with our lives and stand back, break the rules a little bit. And again, just have fun. Absolutely. He does. And you know, it's, it's kind of seeing how that affects the other people and the other characters that I really did pick up on in my second viewing. Um, as I was just mentioning, you know, I, I didn't, I really focused in on our, our primary protagonist of McMurphy. The first time I watched this film and this time I let myself wander and notice different moments where the various patients were kind of coming into their own or uh, standing up. I, I think it was Chiswick. Is it Chiswick or Cheswick? Cheswick. Cheswick. That had a great moment uh, with Nurse Ratched where he starts to question her. And he's like, you know, I don't, I don't think that's right. I don't know that this is what we what you should be doing. And, um, you know, it doesn't, it, she shuts him down and it's, and it's such an, um, it's such an incredible portrayal of evil. <laughs> and right, and right. I almost don't even want to use the word evil because the thing that sticks out to me the most about nurse ratchet is that she truly seems to believe what she's selling. She thinks she is doing what's best for these patients. And as a character, I'm able to really relate to that, which I almost find this disappointing at times. <laughs> but, you know, she's she's a very strict type of leader. She likes rules. She likes organization. And I am the same way. I, I like people to go by the book and, and not disrupt the status quo. <laughs> what I mean, I'm not okay with changing the status quo from time to time, but then I want to follow it. And so for Nurse Ratchet, this is a character who, who really truly believes this is in the best interest of the patients. I don't think she's got a power trip necessarily. I don't, I don't get that sense. I don't get the idea that she's going home happy because she's making people's lives miserable. I think she truly sees these other patients as lesser and not complete human beings because of their disabilities or because of their struggles. And so she's a fascinating character. I mean, I, you know, I, I almost, I, you know, I want to watch the movie a third time and really just kind of hone in on every single moment with her on screen and kind of try and get a sense of what her story is from her perspective. Um, and I, I just think that's pretty incredible, to be honest, that we can, we can have this film where you can, you can watch it. And of course, you're initially going to go with the protagonist, McMurphy, and there's, such a rich amount of content to follow in his story and his journey, but you can do the same thing with nurse ratchet. And then you can kind of do the same thing with quite a few of the different patients, uh, like Billy, like chief, uh, who is my favorite of the, the other main characters. I think chief is chief is the one I really love and respect. 
Um, I believe he was, you were saying you read the book. I re- I've read the book since, since, uh, the, the movie. Uh, and he was the narrator, I think. Is that right. correct? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, so he has a bigger role in the book than he does in the film. But I love the film version of him because I just think that he exemplifies this characteristic of the person that is always taking in information and, and just quietly evaluating his surroundings and not acting out. And that's the opposite of me. Right. Right. So I'm not that person. Like I can't, I would never be able to be chief. There's no way I could have, you know, gone through with what he did, which makes that reveal when, you know, Murphy gets him to open up and be honest about the fact that he's faking. It's just so, so powerful. Yeah, you touched on all three of the characters that I took the bulk of my notes on. Oh. Um, <laughs> um, McMurphy, just to touch on one thing with him real quick. He has this hypnotic, magnetic quality about himself. When he first shows up and he's walking around the room and he goes up to the... Well, first he talks to Chief and he's told, no, he's just deaf and dumb. Deaf and dumb Indian, blah, 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 leave him alone. He's not going to hear you anyways. And so he then goes on his Indian imitation. Then he walks over to the card table and he, he talks with them just a little bit, asks them about the cards, observes them. And as he walks off, there goes Martini following him. And then there goes, um, who else is it? Who follows him? I, I don't remember off the top of my Billy, I think follows him. And so right off the bat, they are attracted to his confidence and they're attracted to how different he is. And they just start following him around. And over the course of the film, characters like Cheswick actually, I think start to emulate him a little bit when they go fishing. He's wearing this denim jacket and a black beanie, just like McMurphy is. And, uh, I, I think that's a not so subtle way of show, or that is an actually pretty subtle way of showing how he is affecting their lives. Now, nurse ratchet, I agree with everything you said, but I think what ultimately makes her an evil character is not because she's in charge, not because she's doing what she thinks is right, but because of how she goes about it. She highlights the insecurities of the patients and makes them feel so small and so filled with self-doubt. And I would like to think that a proper medical professional wouldn't take that approach. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional, obviously, and I haven't spent time in an environment like that. Maybe after a certain amount of time, you develop something like that automatically, or at least she did. And it it was difficult to watch her just make everybody feel so bad about themselves. In that first meeting, they're talking about Harding and his insecurities with his wife. And later, they're talking about Billy and his first suicide attempt and it, all these tough things that really aren't anybody else's business, whether you're in a hospital or not. Um, that's maybe a one-on-one therapy session topic, not a group therapy session topic. And so that that's what really made me think of her as an evil character. Yeah, I can totally buy that. I agree with you there. I mean, she definitely is intentionally trying to make them viewed a certain way amongst their peer group. Um, as well as, as kind of shrink them down to this nothingness and feeling of worthlessness. Uh, even when she is admitting to McMurphy and telling him that, yes, you know, certain, certain ones of them have the right to leave. They're here on their own accord. You know, she quickly kind of flips it and explains that, like, they, they know that they need to be here. So she's, she has no intention of ever relinquishing them to, 
letting them truly feel like they're able to go out into the world again. I guess you're in what you're saying is basically rehabilitation is not her goal. No, her goal is almost it's like stifling. It's it's let's keep them here versus let's actually rehabilitate them and put them into the world again. Well, it's like her deep knowledge of their lives gives her power over them and makes them submissive to her ultimately. And that's that's really the the crux of her character, I think. And that all being said, though, I didn't truly hate her this viewing until that moment at the end with Billy. And then I just think, what are you doing? He can you not pay attention? You are a therapist in some regard. And this character who has spent all of his time in your care stuttering is speaking with the clearest tone right now. And you tear that down. And I mean, we all saw what happened. And uh, that that was the moment where I really just, man, Nurse Ratched, you are a villainous. This is awful. Yeah, yeah. She she definitely got to that point for me at the end. It's such a strong depiction of it the, the, all the way through the film because it's so subtle and, and it's so ingrained. It, it paints this portrait of someone who is, is almost unaware of what they're doing. Almost like you see racism in the world today. People who are what we would call racist. Um, don't even necessarily realize they're racist. It's just kind of who they have become. And, and without looking at themselves in a mirror or from the outside, they don't even see it. And she doesn't see it. You know, she just right. has, has completely embraced that, that uh, personality. Right. And then talking about Chief Bromden, the fact that he's fooled everyone into thinking he's deaf and dumb gives him inner confidence and gives him power over everybody else in a certain way. He knows something that they don't about himself. And that is one less fact that Nurse Ratched can use to make him submissive or to exploit him in the same way she has done with the others. There's this this wonderful full circle moment where at the very beginning, when McMurphy first shows up and starts talking to Chief, he says, man, you look as big as a damn mountain. And at the end, he says, Hey, McMurphy, I feel big as a damn mountain. I feel it. I am bigger now because of what you've done in my life. And I, I love that moment. That That's everybody else has already heard. That's the quote for the start of the episode. The intro for this episode is I feel big as a damn mountain because that's my favorite quote from this film is that this character who has watched his father shrink away to alcohol because he was worn down by people and he's spent his life or his adult life in this, this medical facility watching other people get shrunk down and belittled. And because of what McMurphy has done, he has, he is not little anymore. And I love that. Yep. I actually had that quote written down too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I'm glad that you brought that up. I think that, you know, the book does a, a little bit more of a in your face way of showing that, uh, that transition for chief, that kind of growing into a strong, self-confident character. He's very, very belittled feeling in the book. Um, we just, I mean, he's not our main character. He's a narrator in the book. So you can, you're inside his head, <laughs> whether you right. want to be or not. And you don't get that from the film, but that line in the film is the one that ties his character together. And, you know, you didn't need all of the, the stuff for from his perspective either to, to understand that about him. It all builds up to that, of course, and then him, you know, the ending scenes of of what he does with McMurphy and and going after the the um, I guess is it a water fountain that he rips out of the I can't remember if it's a water fountain or it, it's like a, a hydrotherapy cart of some kind. Yeah, some 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 kind of weird thing in the middle of a room <laughs> that has water uh, that he rips out of the ground that you know is another symbolic showing of 
the strength that he has gained and and been kind of given through his relationship with Murphy and through this journey. Yeah, and we can talk a little bit more about those final moments of the film because Chief, uh, well, right before that scene when they're sleeping in their their cots at night, Seifert walks in and he says, McMurphy has escaped. He has done it. All of that trouble was worth it. He is out. He is big. He is large. And he is gone. Good for him. And everybody's cheering. And Harding tries to prove him wrong and says, no, he's just upstairs and he's meek as a lamb. And that, in a way, belittles the character. McMurphy wouldn't want to be remembered as this meek lamb. And so everybody dismisses that thought. No, no, no. He definitely escaped. Jack Dunphy's full of crap, etc. And... um Then that night, McMurphy is escorted in. Chief is the only one awake to see this. And there he is. He's meek as a lamb. He's gone through a lobotomy. He sees the scars. And in respect to his memory, he smothers him. And I think that that is the most powerful part about it, is that McMurphy has done so much for these people. For those people to see that he has been defeated would take away a lot of the changes and would show that Nurse Ratched was victorious here in the end. So the the way Chief Bromden sort of preserves McMurphy's memory, I think, is what's powerful about that ending scene. You know, that's really awesome way to read that and not a way in which I had thought of it before, to be honest. So I think that's fantastic way to look at it is him preserving the the positive changes that McMurphy has helped bring along. Because you're right, if McMurphy is allowed to continue on, as one of the not the acute what's the other word for them chronic the chronics um you know it's going to just destroy any bit of building up that has occurred in the group uh and so yeah it's it's one of the hardest scenes of of a film to be honest that i that i think i've ever seen because you i am not a supporter of mercy killing in a lot of ways you know i don't i don't necessarily believe in that i'm not a not a supporter of um, self-assisted suicide and and things of that nature, but it's hard not to root for this uh, and what chief is doing. It's hard not to believe that he's making the right choice. Even and and his line, you know, for someone who has so few lines of dialogue, it makes it even all more powerful when he says, I wouldn't leave you this way. You're coming with me. Exactly. Oh oh man. When he says you're coming with me, it just, that's when kind of my tears start to come because it's like, Oh, like he, you know, they bonded, they've, and it hasn't taken words. I think that's one of the big things that I, I take away from that story. And that I, I really love is that you can have this relationship with someone and actions speak louder than words. It's so simple, but it's, it's on display here in a big way. And we get to see the result of that there in the end. Right. And I think it's telling as well that chief exits the the hospital using McMurphy's original plan where there was that scene where it was right after McMurphy tried to get the everybody to vote and let them watch the World Series and only three people raise their hands and so they're in the tub room the next scene and he he makes bets hey I'm going to lift that console up and I'm going to toss it out the window and leave this place and go watch the game and he knows he can't do it but in trying his very very hardest he likely very near popped a vein in his head. He tries as hard as he can. And in doing so, he says, you know, at least I tried. 
And that's a big lesson for those other characters as well. And sure enough, when they vote the next day, they all have their hands raised for the game. So the fact that Chief exits using that as his method of exit is telling as well. One more character I wanted to talk about was Billy, because Billy has probably the strongest tertiary arc, I guess, after uh, McMurphy and Chief. His stammer is a product of his lack of self-confidence. And mm-hmm. it, it's so hard to watch a lot of the times because his stammer is hardest in the presence of Nurse Ratched with the threat of his mother's judgment looming over him as well. And that's just so sad. And man, what a performance by Brad Dourif in his very first film performance, mind you. It's insane how good he is in this movie. And I don't know if he... I haven't seen a whole lot of Brad Dourif films. He was in Lord of the Rings and all the Chucky films, I guess. But who was he Who was he in Lord of the Rings? He was Grimma Wormtongue. Oh, oh, you're right. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So this was the role of a lifetime for Brad Dourif. And it was his very first one. And I can't believe... He was nominated for Best Supporting Actor and lost to George Burns, I think I looked up earlier. But man, was this worthy of an Academy Award. He is so emotionally vulnerable in this movie and you can see glimpses of his confidence in those moments when he's bolstered by his peers in the moments where they're cheering him on and he's not left hanging out to dry by nurse ratchet and when he exits the room i mentioned this earlier when he exits the room with candy with no sign of a stammer he has uh shed his self-doubt he is ultimately confident in himself look what i have done i have gotten a woman to go to bed with me and i have emerged victorious in a way And that is immediately torn down by Nurse Ratched and the threat of his mother. And that that is what's so heartbreaking about his character is that he has has won. He's conquered his doubt and he's he's been successful in this thing that has eluded him for so long. That was what caused his first suicide attempt was denial by a woman. And so for him to finally have gone to bed with one at the, the cheering of his peers he is ultimately confident and then it's gone. And his suicide at the end of the film is the hardest part for me, I think, especially watching nurse ratchet yell at him just before. Yeah. It's heartbreaking. So heartbreaking. And you know, that's part of one of the big themes of this film in general being that this idea of this, I don't know how to word it. Female domination. I don't want to say this in such a negative light that this is like a a big problem. It's a problem in the movie problem in the story um it's problem for all of the characters or many of the characters they deal with this you know i forget um ah gosh harding yeah there you go harding his wife um is is awful (laughs) and controlling um and she's the one who kind of has him there and by the balls so to speak and so you know we see this through through many of the different characters that they they're dealing with trying to please a woman in some way and struggling with gaining that the approval and that, that appreciation from a female in their life. And so it, that's why, like you said, it makes it so much worse when it's nurse ratchet raining down on them because they're so vulnerable to that. Um, they're so sensitive to it. It, it. it hurts them way more than it would if, uh, you know, a male nurse was yelling and screaming at them or telling them that they weren't worthy because they're, they're kind of preconditioned to already feel that when it's coming from a female. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's awful. I mean, what happens to Billy is, is just ter- terrible. It's heartbreaking. And, and, um, and it, in a lot of ways, it's, it's worse than what happens to McMurphy because Billy is more of a pure character 
or an innocent than than McMurphy is, even though McMurphy's a a, a good character, a, has a good heart. Um, Billy is is definitely you know more of your innocent, traditional innocent character that just is tragic. Right. Well, as McMurphy points out, he's just a kid and he has his whole life ahead of him, and here he is in a mental institution, and. So I think I think it's less about female domination and more about demasculinity. It's it's these these men. That's a better way to put it. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's it's these men having their their manhood questioned and their 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 sexual abilities questioned. And I think all the characters go through that in some way. You've got um, Seifert and Fredrickson who obviously have some sort of homosexual relationship. You've got Harding who's struggling with his wife and fears that his wife has been cheating on him. You've got Billy who can't talk to women or has has not been successful in talking to women. And you've got McMurphy, who uh, I'm not going to quote him directly, but he, he likes to have sex and he's not able to do that in this place. And yeah, I think I think that's one of the prevailing themes of the film. Uh, were there any characters you wanted to talk about? No, I think we've covered uh, all the ones that stand out to me the most, at least through two viewings. I'm sure multiple viewings will will give me more to talk about other ones. I just wanted to at least mention Tabor, uh, Christopher Lloyd. This is his very first film appearance, um, which is crazy because he was in his mid to late 30s at this point, I believe. Uh, this was 10 years prior to Back to the Future. That's why you're wearing the Back to the Future t-shirt right now. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I'm sure that's something uh, subconscious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Danny DeVito. It's not his first film role, but it's one of his early film roles. So that's very cool. And then this is the second film starring Jack Nicholson and Scatman Crothers we've talked about, the other being The Shining. Uh, Scatman Crothers has a smaller part here, but uh, he he is in the film. So I guess that's it. All, all the supporting cast is great. I, I should at least shout out Sidney Lassick as Charlie Cheswick is a very powerful character as well. I'm watching his change. And there's this moment at the end of the film when McMurphy's about to leave and he says, thank you, Mac. Thank you I won't forget you. And it's this really sweet moment from a character who has had a couple of tantrums and is probably emotionally underdeveloped in a way as far as maturity goes. And mm-hmm. yeah, oh, yeah, so I, that's a great moment from him. And all the characters here are great. Like I said, the the setting in a mental institution allows for a, such a great, fantastic, wide variety of characters. And every one of them is fantastic in the film. So let's talk real quickly about the music. I admittedly don't have a whole lot to say about it here. It was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Score, and I really love the main theme that you hear at the very beginning of the film and at the very end of the film as Chief Bromden runs away. Um, do you have anything to say about the music? Um, you know, I was going to mention the same thing you did about the award nominations. Um, there's also a bit of trivia where the the opening and closing credits were actually performed on a musical saw which is amazingly interesting to me. Um, Never heard of a saw being used to create music before, (laughs) but hey, you know, it worked and it did give it a very unique sound, the theme. I know that you enjoy the theme of this one. Uh, But yeah, for me, I mean, you know, it's good. It's a good score. I don't, it didn't blow me away. I thought that it was appropriate. There was, you know, when, when McMurphy steals the bus, there's this adventurous twangy, uh, background music that's happening, but it's, it's pretty brief because it's not a long scene. And I think that's the case for most scenes. They're, they're not long. They don't linger. So the music is, is good in them, but it, it doesn't really have a lot of time to build and suck you in because they're just, they're just vignettes, as you mentioned. Um, the other one that really stood out to me the most 
is the World Series scene where he's reenacting the baseball game. I just I absolutely love the background music in that scene. It's it's like this very quiet, almost I mean, it's almost like orchestral in nature, but not bombastic. It, it's a very simple orchestral kind of score going on, and it really helps to increase the joy and the excitement that's going on that you're seeing uh, without putting us in a place where we get too excited. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it, it, I get more joy for the characters than I do excitement. And it would easy, it would be easy if the score was different to go to a place of where I'm excited because the characters are excited. The characters are excited about baseball at that moment. And so it would be easy for me to feel that excitement about baseball because that's what the characters are doing. But instead, I think the score helps me to instead focus on what the characters are feeling and why. And so I get more kind of tearful joy out of seeing them be happy. If that, I hope that makes sense somewhat what I'm trying to say. It does. And uh, the, the bus track that you mentioned is called bus ride to paradise. And, um, the baseball one might be play the game. I, I own the score and have owned it for a long time, but I'm not overly familiar with it. Um, but I mean, it's all good music. It it just doesn't particularly stand out to me as Academy Award winning, which is why Jaws won that year instead. Um, but it, it's great music. I, I like it. I don't know anything else by this composer aside from the ones I mentioned in the the top of the show. But it, it's it's good music, and that that opening and closing theme is probably my biggest takeaway from it. So. Let's dive into the relevance because I, I, I have a feeling that we're going to have a few things to say. So how about you start us off? Well, you know, I think that the beauty of the cuckoo's nest is that we begin to see Jack's, well, I guess not Jack, uh, R.P. McMurphy's rebel attitude begins to just inspire and, and really influence the kind of subdued patients and Watching as he continually manages to improve their lives through that fun, spontaneous laughter is the polar opposite of what we see from Nurse Ratched's kind of oppressive regime that demands that order and repetition that I personally like. Um, and, and through him, we see these people who have been locked away, um, but yet they're really just as human as we are. They're not necessarily any less crazy than you or me, but if we were put in a situation where we were locked inside of a room with nurse ratchet and um, as you mentioned, and our insecurities were what was focused on um, and kind of nailed home as being the defining attribute of our being, then I bet you we would go a little bit crazy too. Right. Um, and so I think, I think that seeing McMurphy's treatment of these others as his friends and equals is what really helps them with their afflictions. Unlike ratchet, who is, treating them like children. And so, you know, I, my takeaway really is this idea of the marginalized. Um, and this is just giving it, giving us that through mental patients, but the marginalized can't always speak for themselves. Someone has to be willing to do it for them. That's, that's how I would sum it up. And, you know, this is one picture of that. And I, I, this is a very important, I think to, to culture today, um, I have a, a friends who work as a uh, sped teachers, special education. And so I've had my view on people with mental disabilities and physical disabilities change a lot 
over the last several years as I've, I've been educated, you know, and I've learned more and I've started to see people as human and stop using words like they say the R word, you know, retarded. We don't, we, those are damaging words. And it's, it's very similar to some of the racial things that are happening in the country today, um, where groups can speak for themselves all day long. But if someone is above them, oppressing them, it doesn't matter. Someone else has to get involved and stand up for them. And so I think this film's culturally relevant and it, it speaks a lot to me and, uh, my personal social justice, uh, issues that I, I like to support right now. And I think that are highly, highly important for people to think about. So yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I get out of the movie. I completely agree with you on all of those points. The, the power of fun and laughter, the idea of putting a break in your routine, changing things up versus the idea of conformity. We're all individuals. We all have our unique traits and the, the special things about us. And McMurphy comes in and changes them and teaches them those things about themselves and teaches them to have fun. And that, that's one of the big takeaways for me. And then there's this idea of real versus imagined size, feeling as big as a damn mountain versus just looking like one in the case of Chief Bromden, and believing their worth is defined by others, i.e. Nurse, Nurse Ratched and the, the system, as it were, versus being defined by themselves. This is who I am. This is what I can do. This is what I care about. All those kind of things versus let's talk about my insecurities because I'm going to be forced to. And that that's just not the way things are. That's not the way things should be, at least. And so I, I think this this film teaches a, a powerful message about finding your own individuality and being being strong with that and being proud of that. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think, you know, it, you can look at this in so many different ways, but this is a, a mental hospital full of patients with different and unique personalities um, who, in the end, kind of rise up to fight against this established order of control. And it's not unlike what's happening in America. You know, I mean, right, it really right. is, it really is a, a picture of that in a lot of ways. Um, so I like, I like that this film can be read and impactful on so many different levels on, on very personal notes uh, on how we go about our lives and interact with the people around us. And then also about how we view the world as a, as a whole at large. And one last thing, really the, the notion of having others define your worth and the fact that a lot of these characters are voluntary in this place, this place of such misery. I, I think it just shows us that sometimes those, like you were saying, those people need a voice from outside to, to show them that they can be more than what they're told they are and that they can in a way rise up. And I think that's powerful. So anything else to close out the relevant section? Yeah, I think for me personally, the relationship between RP and Chief is where it just all comes together. This idea, again, of not judging a book by its cover is something that growing up, I've always struggled with. I've always been a quick judger. Um, I try to believe I'm not. Um, but McMurphy instantane, he doesn't have to work at this. It's just part of his character. He, he, he is not a person who does that. And so seeing him interact with the different patients and not judge them at all, um, but just immediately kind of embrace them for who they are 
is inspiring to me and uh, makes me want to go out tomorrow and, you know, be better, I guess. <laughs> that's, right, right. That's where I would I would end with. Well, cool. Any final thoughts about the movie as a whole? You know, not really. I, I have a, a great new appreciation for the classics in general, and this one just hits home. Some of the AFI Top 100 films going through them, you know, are hit and miss. Some are kind of like, eh, really? This is, this is what you consider one of the 100 best movies ever made? And then sometimes you get a one flew over the cuckoo's nest where you just go, yep, yep, there's no doubt about it. This is one of the greatest movies ever made, and I, I don't think it's ever going to lose that luster and that shine. Milos Forman is incredibly talented. He directed this film, and he directed Amadeus as well. And Amadeus is another one of those films that's among my, my I don't know what what number, but it's one of my favorites. And... um We'll we'll be sure to talk about that on the podcast as well sometime. But it, it's just incredible how he was able to tell this story that is a great book and bring it to the screen and cast people like Jack Nicholson and Will Sampson as Chief Bromden, Louise Fletcher as Nurse Ratchet, all these people who are able to bring these these characters in all their perfections, all their imperfections to the screen and tell this incredible story. And like I said, it's one of my favorite movies, and I was glad to talk about it with you tonight. So. With that, I think that is the end of the official 33rd episode of Cinescope. Thanks for talking with me tonight, Aaron. Yeah, Chad, I appreciate it, and it was a joy to be on. Contact for the show, facebook.com slash Podcast and at Pod on Twitter. Please remember to rate and review on iTunes, and if you have feedback or ideas or anything like that, email at thecinescopepodcast at gmail.com. And if you're interested in co-hosting, if you have a movie that you'd love to talk about for 45 minutes plus, let me know and we will get you on the show. Aaron, where can people find you online? Well, they can find me personally all over the interwebs at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E. Type that into Google and you'll you'll find all my stuff, Twitter, Facebook, PlayStation, uh, pretty much anything you could <laughs> want to interact with me on. Uh, you can find my show at Feelin' Film. F-E-E-L-I-N-F-I-L-M or feelinfilm.com. We also have a Facebook page and a pretty active Facebook group. Um, you can find links to all that stuff at the website as well. And, and we're very active on Twitter and Facebook as well. We like to engage with the listeners. So check out the show if you're interested. It's on iTunes and Stitcher and pretty much anywhere you can find Cinescope, you can find Feelin' Film too. Definitely. And once again, if you like the approach that Cinescope takes to reviewing films, then you'll definitely like the approach Feel and Film takes to reviewing films. We're both based in positivity and approaching films that we love most of the time. And uh, I, I, I think that if you can spread that around, then the world's going to be a better place. Because as I've always said, talking about the things you love is better than talking about the things you hate. So reminder one more time, the Cinescope Anchor channel, you can download the app where you can listen to listen within your browser um, via the link that is in the show notes. And the best place to find me is at Chadadada on Twitter and on facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And all the show notes, all the contact information can be found at our website, thecinescopepodcast.com. And that's all for this week. Thank you again, Aaron. It's been awesome having you on the show. And thank you everyone for listening to episode 33. I'm Chad Hopkins. This was Cinescope, and we'll be back next week with episode 34. Have fun and celebrate movies.